Joseph Hubbard from Creation Research UK. Now, I'm not talking about University of Kentucky. I'm talking about the original UK is with us this hour. Yes, there's going to be another British accent in the studio, <laughs> and you don't want to miss that. It's Friday, so Dawn is in pink. Get in touch anytime, 800-555-7898. Yeah, I, I saw the shot that was taken there, and then the attempted deflection. Of guess. That, yeah, yeah, the original UK, not Kentucky, whatever. Mm-hmm. And by the way, she's in pink. Uh-huh, Let's distract right, them. Because that makes it all better. Yeah. Well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've also been waiting to say another Brit is in the studio, and yep. you're super excited about two that. Two for two. Yeah. Yep. We, we still outnumber you, though. There's three of us from oh, we'll the States ben here. We'll keep quiet. We'll turn, turn Glenn's <laughs> mic off. There we go. <laughs> well, we do have a, uh, a Brit in the studio with us this morning. Joseph Hubbard is with us, writer and researcher for Creation Research Worldwide. He serves as the UK director. Welcome, man. It's good to it's meet you. It's good to be here, yes. I uh, do like that accent. Thank you. Yes, it's. It's. I find it's quite popular over here. I would imagine. funny accent. It's good. Now, why is it? This we'll get on topic in just a yeah, second yeah. here, but this is just a question: Why is it? Do you think that uh, Americans find British accents so compelling? Yet I'm told that American accents are rejected by those in the UK. Um, not so much rejected. I just think that. Uh, uh, do you want you want the honest? I answer? do. I mean, I'm honest, really curious because actually, I actually do a radio show. We, we actually, yeah, we we had this a similar question to this um, last night, which was along the lines of we were speaking at David Reeves' place in um, Dixon, the Wonder Centre, and somebody asked, you know, why you had like you know, the Scopes trial, and why did evolution take on so much, even in the US, with a big strong Christian heritage? And the real answer is that Americans love an English accent, uh, and it makes <laughs> us sound intelligent, right? And you will find, even to this day, your main groups that come out of the the UK from prestigious organisations like Oxford University and Cambridge and stuff, there is an association with a posh or a sort of, you know, prestige English accent. Uh, there's an association between that and academia and therefore authority. And that goes back to this idea that academia equals authority. Therefore, if you have Dr. So-and-so in front of your name, you must know what you're talking about. All right. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that's not always the case. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> always. It not really always. isn't. But it, it is interesting how people's perceptions will, uh, you know, of something, of prestige, will lead you to believe something without actually looking and understanding what they believe in the first place. So uh, a big part of what we try and do is get people to question that. Uh, And I'm so glad you do because of that very thing that we will take on something that we've heard for so many years or maybe we learned in elementary school. And that makes more sense to our human intellect than it does to believe that God has created something. But take us back to the creation research there in the United Kingdom. What what is this place? What do you do? So uh, creation research was founded by our international director, John Mackay, who's Australian. He started the first uh, creation ministry in Australia and uh, brought in Ken Ham from Answers in Genesis to work with him back in the 1970s. So the two of them go way back, right? Uh, And Ken obviously moved over here to the US, started Answers in Genesis. John stayed back in Australia. And many, many years later, I then ended up getting involved, right? So creation research is about, uh, well, A, researching creation, but ultimately we're doing it to find evidence that God's word is true so that we can use that in evangelism. It's here to provide evidence that, well, if you can trust what God said in the beginning, you can trust what he said is that about what he's going to do in the end, right? And so it's a it is a ministry, it's a gospel-based ministry, and it's a ministry which is about reaching a pagan culture because despite you know very long Christian heritage in the United Kingdom, 
good Christian heritage here in the United States, we are increasingly becoming more and more of a pagan culture simply because the culture is all around now evolution millions of years. Uh, we evolved out of the slime, and that is a pagan concept in itself. That was what our whole presentation last night, David's Place, was about, right? The pagan roots of evolution. Uh, and so we are increasingly becoming a pagan nation. Now, we have this account in the uh, book of Acts of Paul going to pagan nations, uh, particularly the Greeks, right, which is where evolution really started. And uh, the way that Paul dealt with them, the way that he evangelized to them, was to go back to creation. We have to start with the basics. In the beginning, God created, and we go from there. It's true. Yeah, <clears throat> he did, didn't he? And in Acts, no, Romans chapter 1, he mm-hmm. spells that out again right. about mm-hmm. creation and how you know we can look to that and yeah. see we have a designer God. We have Joseph Hubbard, Hubbard with us this morning talking about cre- creation. Well, I'm going to slow down. Creation, research, United Kingdom. You just need to say it with a British accent. <laughs> I think that's okay. it. My, yeah. my, you could I, screw it up and you'd still sound authoritative. <laughs> Uh, the best I got is Southern. Yeah, I can pull on the and pull out the Southern. Fly. No, no. All right. Well, we'll we'll let Joseph keep the British accent and continue to talk about this when we look at how God has brought mm. things into being. And Glenn is his associate. Are you the handler today? So I'm the USA representative for creation research. Oh, there we go. So you I'm know, a retired Ken scientist, and... and I met John and Joe in 2019. Then COVID hit. Uh, but I joined the team uh, 2021. Yeah, so in the middle of all COVID and all that. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, it's it all still sort of picked, back picked, back. ministry picked back up again last year, and we've been we've been going from there. We're glad we get to be part of your journey. If you have questions about creation and evolution, mm-hmm. you can get those in right now. 800-555-7898. Back with these gentlemen in just a few moments. An American tour. I love this. Joseph Hubbard mm-hmm. with us, and you are the director at the Creation, uh, I want to say Creation Museum, because that's what I'm used to here yeah. in the States. Sure. But all partnered together, because you know Ken Ham. Ken Ham's been, well, not partner, partner. I know you're shaking your head. We, we work with closely with Answers in Genesis, particularly in the UK. We do conferences and stuff together with them, and so and they go they go way back to the beginning. But yes, we're creation research. Yes, yep. and we do have our own uh, museum project as well. So we we work with some of the other organizations with their museums. But um, Glenn, here in the US, you have a sort of a touring museum That's that right. goes around Creation Station, yeah. which is a mobile museum that oh we can go goodness. to churches, we can go to businesses, set up, display our evidences of creation and then use that to lead us into a discussion about the gospel love that that's what it's all about so closely associated everyone is closely associated to get the gospel out and talk about the common common purpose yeah which is to to back up the bible and to spread the gospel and you're backing up the bible with some pretty big teeth and a big old bone that you brought into the studio this morning what you got joseph so this is actually i mean i'm just looking at this right this is sort of what three feet it's about three feet long big big bone this is one section out of four the the full bone which we have the full bone is nearly eight feet in length wow i know that's a that's a big that's a big bone it's a huge bone and it's a rib bone 
of an Apatosaurus, which is one of those big, long-necked dinosaurs, right? So it's a, it's a huge bone. This is one that was found in Utah, so it's one of it's one of yours, right? And we're taking it back to the UK with us uh, because we're going to do some analysis of the bone and sort of dig inside and have a look. But uh, it does give you sort of a bit of an idea of size. I'm sort of struggling to hold this up. It's yeah. heavy, right? It looks heavy. And it's just one of four sections of this single bone. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a big bone. These are big creatures, these dinosaurs. You said that one bone's about eight feet long eight feet long yes and and weighs an awful lot an awful lot now i I will admit that for a long time Mm -hmm. i had thought that if dinosaurs were real and and, okay we we Mm -hmm. see the evidence from dinosaur bones and all that they probably had to have been real Mm -hmm. but you know people who tended to have a young earth view of age say how do they fit in the bible storyline oh may- maybe they they were all destroyed in the flood yeah all destroyed in the and there's so many different ideas i mean just so, from, yeah. from my from my dad right when he he was an atheist before he became a christian when he did become a christian his big question was what do i do about the dinosaurs exactly and he went to church and the person in church the, the pastor in the church told him well dinosaurs they have big horrible claws they have horns on their head they love to kill things i don't think that god would have created that so i believe that satan created the dinosaurs so for what? four yeah, I know I see your face, right? Yeah. For four years of my life I was banned from having anything to do with dinosaurs and I've been taking revenge ever since. So <laughs> I dig the things up, right? But yeah. it's a big question. How does it fit? Okay. Start with the Bible. Okay, Philippians chapter two, verse five says, Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ. So if we're going to understand answers about dinosaurs, we need to view dinosaurs from God's perspective, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything was very good. And you and I view good as a moral word but and it is but it's a lot more than that because god described what his creation was like the climate was good animals only ate plants and man was in charge of the animals god was in charge of man man was in charge of animals that was the hierarchy in a perfect world dinosaurs by definition are land creatures land creatures were made on day six of creation dinosaurs were made on day six of creation alongside man according to the bible but then you have a change Man sins, yep. okay? That hierarchy, God over man, man over animals, gets broken down. There's now a separation between God and man because of sin. As a result, the world is cursed, and there's now a change between man and animals because no longer do we have good dominion. The animals have a fear of man, right? So there's a breakdown of this hierarchy. By the time you get down to Noah's flood, the world has gone from good to bad to worse, Right, So now we have animals eating meat. Now we have a breakdown between animals and man, and we have a, a rejection between man and God. God. Man becomes so bad, God judges the world with a global flood, and there's no doubt about it. You go digging dinosaurs up with me, right? you will find abundant evidence that most of the dinosaurs have drowned. And they are in rock sediments that go all across the world, right? You think dinosaurs, you think Jurassic, right? Yeah. And most people think Jurassic, you know, films and Jurassic millions of years. Reality is Jurassic was named after the Jura Mountains in Germany, right? Mm. Because of where they were found. What's the significance? Well, the man who named them was Alexander von Humboldt. He traveled the world, right? He was the king's geographer from Germany. And he recognized that rocks in the United Kingdom, rocks in the United States, rocks all over the world matched the ones in the Jura Mountains. So he said, hey, we'll call them the Jurassic. So you know what that's just told you? These Jurassic rocks go all over the world. 
and they all contain land animals and land plants buried next to fish and sea creatures. They are all buried clearly in a great big watery catastrophe. So there's no doubt about it. I strongly believe that most of the dinosaur fossils that we find were formed during Noah's flood. But do you remember that definition of a dinosaur? It was a land-dwelling, air-breathing animal that was made on day six. Yep. Now, God sent Noah two of every land-dwelling, air-breathing animal and seven of the clean ones. Yeah. Right? So... What do you think? Does that mean that dinosaurs went on Noah's Ark? I, I would think so. It, by that definition, they would. They would, right? And yep. so the logical question is, well, how on earth did they fit? <laughs> right? <laughs> We've got a big bone here, right? This is yeah. a big creature. This is a you know twenty-ton, two-story tall creature. Um, well, what's interesting is in our museum collection, we have a set of dinosaur eggs, right, from one of the largest ever creatures, and they're about the size of an American football. Right? Yeah. That is a small creature that would have hatched out of that. No trouble fitting on the Ark at all. So then what happened after that? We got to take a break and we'll come back and find out what happened. Dinosaurs, they're always intriguing, especially as we look at how God created the earth. And we have Joseph Hubbard with us talking about that from the creation research in in the United Kingdom. That's why he talks a lot like Briggs. You recognize that beautifully. Writer, researcher for Creation Research Worldwide and UK director Joseph Hubbard is uh, in the studio with us. And uh, Joseph, we were just talking a little bit about dinosaurs a second ago mm-hmm. and how they would have been yeah. on Noah's Ark. Yeah. By so the, that, by where the are they now? So, it's, yeah, I mean, it went on Noah's Ark fine, you know, small eggs hatch out. So where, what happened to them? Where did they go? The common uh, belief about the extinction of the dinosaurs has something to do with a large, uh, you know, asteroid coming in and all that, right? Um, there's very little evidence for it, despite, you know, David Attenborough and Brian Cox standing up on the BBC and saying, we know that an asteroid came and destroyed the dinosaur 65 million years ago. Um, we don't. If you want some fun, uh, actually Google, right, particularly in academic Google, right, Google Scholar, um, have a little Google as to ideas as to why the dinosaurs died out. Because the asteroid extinction is just one of them. My favourite ones include that flowers evolved at the time of the dinosaurs and the dinosaurs were allergic to died. I think my favourite one of all of them is that marijuana evolved and the dinosaurs all got high and died. No. It's a genuine theory that's no. out there. Okay. Um, so the reality is in the scientific world we do not know right, what happened to the dinosaurs um, in, in, that, in that sense. The sci- there is not a scientific consensus on it. Asteroid, nothing. So what happened to them from a biblical perspective. Most of the fossils formed during Noah's flood. Young dinosaurs, small dinosaurs go on Noah's Ark, they come out to repopulate the earth. But remember where we started. In the beginning everything was very good. The world was cursed and the world went from good to bad. Noah's flood, the world goes from good to bad to worse because at the end of the flood, in Genesis chapter 8, God promises Noah, right, famous rainbow, never flood the earth again. But that wasn't the only covenant. There was also rules about diet, and there was also a promise about the climate. It said, God said to Noah that for as long as the earth shall remain, there will be seed time harvest, cold heat, summer and winter. First reference to erratic climates, major changes in climates. Now, if you're a very large, cold-blooded reptile, you need some very specific climate to be able to survive, okay? If you change that climate so that, well, what's the most common biome, the most common right landscape today? It's temperate grassland. Now, that means you need to be A, warm-blooded to be able to cope with the cold, and B, you need to have a special four-chambered stomach and able to digest grass, right? So we're talking about, you know, 
cows, wildebeest, yeah. bison, horses, that kind of stuff, right? All of a sudden, the places where you can survive as a dinosaur is limited. The places where you can thrive as a dinosaur is virtually nowhere. So there's a, a major shift between what appears to be before the flood and what appears to be after the flood in terms of the animal population. A majority reptile before the flood, a majority mammal after the flood because of this changing climate. Uh, and then also, you know, how do animals normally go extinct? Hunting, lack of vegetation, lack of ability to survive in an area, climate change, right? All this kind of stuff is is very real. Yeah. And so there's no issue with the dinosaurs going extinct at all um, in a very short period because most of them would have been wiped out. And quite frankly, you'd never get back up to the populations that we see in the fossil record. Wow. Okay. There you go. I'm like so riveted. I'm just listening. But I'm also thinking about Jurassic Park and wondering, okay, in our pop culture, this is how we view dinosaurs. Yeah. And you saw one of or two. Have you seen the Jurassic? I've seen seen some of the original ones. And your thought? They're good good fun. You know, they're science fiction. But there's a a few interesting sort of points to take out of them, right? The first one is beware of false science. That's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, right? Beware of science falsely so-called, right? Science being the old greek word for knowledge all right uh, in jurassic park you have these great big five to six foot tall velociraptors well in reality they were only the size of a large chicken okay <laughs> so to be yep. wary of that's that. a little different but at least not jurassic, scary enough for spielberg yeah, exactly yeah. yeah but at least jurassic park had scales on their dinosaurs because all the indication tells us that these creatures had scales now the popular belief nowadays is that they were covered in feathers and the grand total of fossil feathers we've found attached to a velociraptor is nil okay we haven't found them despite the fact that we've gone to some world-class fossil casting companies people who make copies of fossils we've ordered a velociraptor fossil cast off of them and it comes covered in feathers and i said to them well as far as i'm aware we've not found any feathers and he said no he said we've been requested so many times by museums around the world to have a cast of a velociraptor covered in feathers but we can't find anywhere one to cast a copyright so we've had to draw the feathers on ourselves Ah, now if you go into a museum and you see a feathered velociraptor on the wall, what are you going to think about evolution? Here's evidence of dinosaurs turning into birds. But beware of false science, right? That's the first thing. Second thing, very briefly, and this is what I've done academically, right? Uh, What did Jurassic Park do? You have a little mosquito, it takes some of the the blood, right? And then you take the blood and the DNA out of the blood, you do something strange with a frog, and you end up with a dinosaur. Now, I'm sure we can all agree that's science fiction, but two things. Number one, that concept of soft tissue, soft squidgy stuff from dinosaurs still being present in bone really is there we've done it we can extract collagen we can extract red blood cells we can extract nerve cells and ligaments and it's phenomenal the amount of stuff that's in there and the reality is there is no way that you can preserve something like collagen for 65 plus million years right we know what the life the shelf life of collagen is it's a protein it's meat right you put a steak out in the sun it's going to go off now you can extend that shelf life of the steak by putting it in the fridge or freezing it or salting it but it still has a shelf life and there's no way that this meat this protein can last for 65 million years so it's a good indication that the bones are not actually as old as they're purported to be and finally and the thing that amused me the most right about this all you have this mosquito sucking dinosaur blood right take the dna from the blood cells and make a dinosaur red blood cells don't have dna in them 
They're one of the only <laughs> cells in the body that don't have DNA because their sole purpose is to transport oxygen around the body. That's why they're red, right? Because I of the iron. It. So, uh, yeah, it, it, beware of false science and enjoy science fiction, don't get me wrong, right? Uh, but recognize it as being science fiction and be wary about letting that influence the way that you view the real world. Keep it but, in its place. Yeah. Keep it Joe, in its you've place. you there, though, that is stone. It's rock. And you're telling me that there is soft, squidgy stuff. Well, um, it's interesting because uh, this fossil dinosaur bone is not stone. So maybe we should uh, we should come back and talk about that because let's talk about what a fossil actually is because lots of people think a fossil means turned to stone. It is it true. It doesn't necessarily mean that. And so we should talk about that okay. when we come back. We'll get that straight from the educator's mouth as he's done the research and it's Creation Research United Kingdom, creationresearchuk.com. As we talk to Joseph Hubbard, hey, we've connected you through our Facebook page Don and Steve in the morning. Kathy, thank you for your text. 800-555-7898. Phenomenal interview, you said, as we talked to Joseph Hubbard, and we are talking about creation. And you brought in a big dinosaur mm. bone. It's just a part of an eight-foot yep. section of a rib. Yep. And yet, we often think that fossils are rocks. Yes, so, are we stone. right? Okay, well, uh, just a, a, a quick point, first of all, because uh, uh, thank you for the for the comment, right? Phenomenal interview about this. There's so much stuff we could go and talk about. Out here, right? So if you want to find out more, go to creationresearch.net and click on the fact file. There's a QA site you can follow me and where we're going and come and see us, right? And we've still got some gaps in the itinerary, so get in touch. But uh, when it comes to fossils, a lot of people think turn to stone. But a, a fossil literally just means in a hole, right? It means to be dug up. So what is a fossil? They're preserved remains of creatures or plants or organisms from the past. Now, in some cases, it is turned to stone. Example would be petrified wood, right? There's none of the wood left in there usually. It's all turned to stone. Now, occasionally you do find some other forms like, you know, carbonization. That's what coal is. Sometimes you do find right in the center of these petrified trees, there is still fresh wood that you can take out and burn. And that's remarkable because that's soft tissue, right? Um, but when it comes to the bones, like this dinosaur bone, it's not turned to stone. Uh, the technical term we use is permineralized. So break the word down, permineralized, permeated with minerals. It's as simple as that. You have a bone. Bone is very porous, right? You know, you've got the honeycomb structure in the center. Well, that's just one part of the, the holy part of the bone, right? Even the really dense bone around the edge is full of holes, microscopic holes, but full of holes. So if you bury your bone in the right conditions, then minerals will permeate the bone, go into the bone, infill and entrap the bone, encase the bone, so you have preserved the bone in stone, not turned it to stone. Now that means that when you hold this bone here, and you held the bone just a minute ago, I did, right? Yeah. This bone is the very bone that was inside the dinosaur. It hasn't changed, hasn't turned to stone, it's still there, it's been preserved in stone. Now that means that when we uh, come to doing analysis on it and testing, you can take a sample of that bone, you grind it into a powder, very, very fine, right, between uh, 25 and 50 microns, so microscopic particles, you then 
demineralize the bone so that means get rid of the minerals that preserve the bone you then digest the bone using a type of acid that gets rid of all of the inorganic part of the bone you're left with anything that's organic in a little solution so anything that's soft and squidgy will be in a little solution you test it using something like a mass spectrometer right spins it around really fast tells you what's in it and you end up analyzing things like collagen collagen is a soft squidgy protein think protein think meat right uh, that's a principal part of bone and you're finding these amazing things inside bone that simply couldn't last for millions of years wow I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this. I'm I wish we you. had like five <laughs> yeah, more hours with you yes, right there. Riveting. All right. So, but laying right next to the dinosaur yeah. bone, you brought in a couple of what looks like some pretty big teeth. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story here because right? it has a lot to do with our belief uh, and the way that we view things. So, can you tell me what that is? It it is a tooth. It's a tooth. Do you know what kind of animal it's from? I uh, th- to me it looks like a shark's tooth, but I don't know. You're absolutely right. Yeah, okay. it is a shark's tooth. This is from a great white shark, right? Oh wow! And, and okay. you knew it was a great white shark tooth because it looked like a great white shark it, tooth, right? Uh, and then uh, down here we have a much much bigger shark tooth. That thing looks like it's about <laughs> seven inches long it's and about huge. five inches wide. Big yeah. giant black teeth the size of a hand, right? Yep. Or a big hand. Uh, this is from the megalodon, right? And uh, it's effectively just a great big great white shark now the little bit of a story right the um, ancient greeks dug these teeth up right these these shark teeth fossil shark teeth but the ancient greeks believed in a different worldview, a different philosophy to what we believe in they believed in many many gods yeah. and they believed that their gods were just like us but bigger so if we can play tricks the gods could play bigger tricks and the greeks dug shark teeth like this little shark tooth out of the rocks and they said good try zeus we know that sharks live in the water they don't live in the rocks these must be tricks played on us by the greek gods now that is a 100 percent logical conclusion just happens to be 100% false, right? Right. So logic doesn't always equal truth. But what you'll find is the Greeks influenced the Romans, the Romans influenced the rest of the West, and you will find that all down throughout the Middle Ages, the people believed that these shark teeth were just tricks played on them, not by the Greek gods by the time you get to the Middle Ages, but by the devil. Now, how did we get from that to believing these were shark teeth? Enter Nicolastino, a man from the 1600s, wrote a whole great big thick book all about if it looks like a shark's tooth both inside and outside, guess what? Probably is a shark's tooth, right? If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck. All right, well, how did he come to that conclusion? Simple answer, he was a Christian. He believed in the Bible. And he believed two things. Number one, in the beginning God created. And number two, he believed in Romans chapter one where it says that God has stamped his nature onto creation so we can trust the world that God has created just as much as we can trust the creator who made it in the first place. And so the simple answer is, if this looks like a shark's tooth, it is a shark's tooth. Now you can ask the question, how did it get in the rocks? That's the science of paleontology. And it all started because a man trusted the Bible and actually asked questions about the world in light of the Bible. Wow. All right. So I'm I'm so fascinated by this. Last uh, question we probably have time for, and this is, we could probably spend a whole hour on just this. But you began the conversation by saying, we do creation creation research Mm -hmm. as a part of ministry so that we can tell people about Jesus and the gospel and all of that. That's what it's all about. Right. And I, I love that. So... How does having a biblical understanding of creation 
equate to bringing people to salvation and the the gospel message? Okay, um, think about what evolution is. Evolution is a story that was sold to us based on the pagan Greek beliefs which was promoted by Charles Darwin and quote-unquote Charles Lyell, who introduced us to millions of years, was a mentor of Charles Darwin, quote-unquote, my aim is to free science from Moses. Right? Mm. It's to get rid of God out of people's thinking. Why? Well, Moses' first five books of the Bible, right? Uh, in there you have the creation to the law. If you get rid of all of that, then you have no basis for Christianity or morality whatsoever. You see, if you believe that if given enough time you can call out of the slime, there's no need for a creator. Death has always been a part of the world. There's no life after death. There's nothing special about us. We're no different from animals. And the rest of the Bible comes falling down. However, if you start with Jesus Christ as the creator... Ah, now all of a sudden we're made in his image. Now all of a sudden we've sinned and need a saviour. Now all of a sudden Jesus Christ did come, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he died on a cross. And you'll find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ who's given the credit of creating. John chapter 1, the word who was the creator. Colossians 1.16, all things were made by Christ and for Christ. Hebrews, he made all things through the world. That's where we need to start. Hmm. Boy, there's so much that uh, we unfortunately do not have time to get to, but I want to encourage you to connect with Creation Research. And so we've got links on the Facebook page. You can uh, go right there, Don Steve in the morning when you're on Facebook. We so appreciate you guys coming in and joining us this morning.